Great, thanks. All right, we're on that final last core value, if you've got your bulletin and on the back of it. This has just been a series of kind of bringing us back to our center. The, the vineyard has done a good job of identifying five core values, these things that we build out of. This is not our doctrinal statement. The things that we believe theologically are um, pretty, you know, follow along fairly closely with most evangelical churches with not too much difference. We find ourselves pretty comfortable all the way around there, but, but these are the things that are kind of the non-negotiables. And as I've read through them, this, this is what the vineyard has done, uh, but you know, I realize that, that this is a standard that should run all the way through the church just because we've identified them for ourselves uh, doesn't mean that we haven't borrowed from others or that others borrow from us or these are just a these are things that that Jesus taught that ought to be in the center of what motivates us and what drives us and what happens to us when we gather and and what our purpose and, and, and motivations are and so as we've been going through them this last one is compassionate ministry and um, if we if we can, we'll just start with the notes right away, except I'll, I'll read to you the statement. This is, this is the statement around this core value as, as is published in our, um, our official on our website and the little booklet if there's any of those left. Thank you, Maria, for making that possible, <laughs> by the way. Okay, it says this. We lean towards the lost, the poor, the outcast, and the outsider with the compassion of Jesus as sinners whose only standing before God is utterly dependent on the mercy of God. Now, they're rewording a little bit of this. This is one of those statements I think they're working on because it, the way it's written, it almost sounds like, let me read it again. We lean towards the lost, the poor, the outcast, and the outsider with the compassion of Jesus. Everything's okay there. And then it says, as sinners whose only standing, well, who's it talking about as sinners? The poor, the, what it's talking about is you and me. We're the ones who take the stance, and the only stance we can take with the poor and the outcast and the outsider is that we're exactly like anybody else. We are the sinners that it's talking about, whose only standing before God is utterly dependent on the mercy of God. That's why we care about those who need mercy, because we were given mercy. We were extended mercy. And so we extend it on his behalf. This mercy can only be truly received in as much as we are willing to give it away. In other words, it's not automatic. We believe that ministry in Jesus' name should be expressed in concrete ways through the local church. The poor are to be served as those serving Jesus himself. This is one of the distinguishing characteristics of a church expressing the love of Christ in a local community. We do not exist for ourselves, all right? We do not exist for ourselves. In all forms of ministry, compassion is a hallmark, hallmark of the one who has moved with compassion himself in the face of human need. This being the age of grace and the year of the Lord's favor, compassion should constitute the leading edge of our service to God, each other, and a broken world. As such, we seek to avoid unauthorized judgments of others, realizing that we are all fellow sufferers and strugglers with the rest of humanity. In other words, 
We had nothing except, we have nothing except what he gave us and we only have to give away what he gave us. And that's what we should be about. So we're on the notes now. See how well I do this week. A, it says Jesus clarifies how the kingdom would come. This is Jesus making his sort of his opening salvo. This is the very beginning of his ministry. He has been uh, 30 years in obscurity, apparently learning the carpentry, uh, carpentry trade in Nazareth. Not, we have almost nothing about him in that whole time of preparation. He comes on the scene with John the Baptist who is preaching this sermon of repentance. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, he said. It's about to happen. God is coming. He's bringing these promises. This promised moment is coming to the earth. And, and it's coming in one, he says, whose shoes I'm not willing to, I'm not, not uh, uh, able, I'm not worthy to unlatch. And so um, Jesus comes on the scene. John recognizes him. Uh, he's baptized. The Holy Spirit falls on him. The voice from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And immediately from that point comes up out of the water and 40 days it says the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And the first thing the Holy Spirit does is lead him into the desert. It says to be tested by the devil. Now, it seems like, you know, Holy Spirit, you know, maybe could be a little more considerate than that. That's not exactly where I wanted to go, but that's where Jesus ended up. Forty days of fasting and dealing with, with all of the temptations, all the things that had ever worked with humanity before when they had been places of power and, and of places of control and, and places of breakthrough where the enemy had harassed and, and caused trouble. That same stuff came into Jesus' into Jesus's way and Jesus dealt with it and put it down. He goes back to his hometown. There's creating a little bit of stir. He started his ministry around the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, and he goes back to his hometown where everybody knows him. And it's the Sabbath. And, and everyone's gathered in the synagogue. And so they invite this young man up to, to uh, read from the Scripture. And Jesus reads this Scripture. And it's more than just this time. It's more than just a promise for the Messiah but it is an announcement, it is a proclamation that Jesus is making and he's saying, this is what you are going to see from now on. The kingdom of heaven has come and here's what it's going to look like. All right, so that's where we're at in Luke 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. All right, that's, there was a reference to that in what I read earlier from the, from the um, uh, core values statement, the year of the Lord's favor. It says it in another translation. So this is what Jesus reads out of, out of the book of Isaiah, a promise they all recognized, had messianic had, had uh, uh, implications. They had tagged it to this time when the king would come and the kingdom would come with him. And Jesus stands up and reads it. And, and what he says next as he sets down, he says all the eyes of the synagogue are on him. There's something's in the air. And he says, today, 
Today this is fulfilled in your hearing. What an incredible thing. This, this scripture that stood for hundreds of years and, and stood as a, as a mark of something God was going to do. That, it, that was down the road. Someday this would begin to happen. And Jesus stands up and he says, today it's happening. How many know that's a pretty big claim to make? We've said a lot of times, you know, it's, it's important that if you advertise it in the window, you ought to keep it in stock. Is that right? It's not just to sucker people in to sell them an inferior and a shoddy product. Jesus said, today this is becoming available. You will recognize the kingdom and you will recognize me and my place in the kingdom when you begin to see these things occurring. Is everybody with me? All right. So Jesus was talking, the Holy Spirit anointing. Isn't that what he said? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. That's one of those words, anointing, that's, that's kind of been hijacked just a little bit. Jesus said, let me tell you, the Holy Spirit anointing was missional. That's one of those words gets thrown around. When I say it's missional, what were we saying? It had a purpose. It was there by design. It had a mission. As it were, it was going, the anointing of the Holy Spirit was going to accomplish something. It was missional and it gave the church its true calling. Jesus was saying there's a reflection here. I want you to understand it's not just me that's going to do this, but as he would tell later, as he would say later, when I am gone, this is still going to be the mark of the church. This is what we're supposed to look like. This is, this is the way we are supposed to respond to the brokenness in this world. So the anointing, as it were, was, was missional. Let me read what I wrote, okay? Jesus announces his arrival and announces that the kingdom of God has arrived with him. Jesus was making his intention very clear and setting the standard for the church that was to be born out of his actions. Jesus was leading in a new direction and he was doing it by acts of compassion for all who needed it. So, that, so the anointing was for what? It was for the acts of compassion that would begin to relieve man of the, of the sin brokenness, of the illness that had come with us with our rebellion. Jesus talks about his anointing as a means of setting people free. That's what his anointing was for. He says nothing about the anointing as, meaning, uh, as a means of getting wealthy or keeping us at peace or making us happy. He does not say that it, it uh, is to give us a really exciting experience in God. He doesn't say anything about being the source of prophesying or speaking in tongues or focusing on any other gift. He does say it is going to set the oppressed and the broken and the blind people free. Those other things notwithstanding. The anointing is about others. It is to make us a missional people. Everybody get that? So we say something, it's, a, it's anointed. The question that we normally ask from Jesus' own description here, so what was its purpose to help the broken? Because I hear all kinds of things, that was really anointed. And all it did was give me goosebumps. Nothing wrong with goosebumps. This is not the anti-goosebump sermon. 
All I'm saying is anointings are to break the yoke. That's what they're for. Jesus intended, this is two, Jesus intended to use compassion as a weapon. Remember a few weeks ago when I talked about compassion, I, I could have saved that sermon for this morning. But maybe I thought about preaching it again, but then some of you have heard it for the third time, and that's overkill, way over the top. See, what Jesus was saying was, we're going, we're going to assault the things that are wrong and the ones that have made it wrong. We are going to assault them, but I'm going to assault it. The weapon that, of my choice is compassion. What do you do to withstand love? It's irresistible. You can't, you can't manipulate it, not when it's real love. He declares that he's going to confront the kingdom of darkness. That's what that scripture is about. He's going to confront the kingdom of darkness and he's going to repair excuse me, repair all that, that it had done to demoralize, weaken, and devalue human life. Jesus was stepping into the midst of the morass of our own mess and was going to repair it. Compassion was driving it, and compassion would make us whole. All right? To see human potential, this is my own definition. See how you like it. To see human potential through the eyes of the kingdom and to want every person to reach their potential is compassionate ministry. What if I, as the pastor, looked around here and I did not have the desire, there was not somewhere in my life the, the motivating uh, insight that what my job is, is to see that you begin to reach your potential. Not potential as I imagine it to be. Not potential as the world would describe it, or maybe even others might hang on you. But how many of you would like to live the life that God imagined for you? I mean, the real life. Do you, can you sit right where you are right now and say, I am living the life that God imagined for me. And I'm living it to the max. Is this really in all of its aspects? You see, what God calls us to when he calls us into this compassionate ministry, what he calls us to is to begin to see others the way that he sees them. You can't do compassionate ministry until you begin to see what's going on in other people. And unfortunately, part of what helps us get there is when we begin to see what's going on in our own heart. People that live in denial rarely ever step across the line and begin to minister to others. You know why the Holy Spirit holds your feet to the fire? Partly because you need to be better and you're not, you know, you're not behaving like, like he designed you, like he, he, he imagines you, he sees you. But the other part is but until you start seeing that, that crust of your own life, of, of your own denial, of your own secrets, until you start seeing that stuff broken down, it's very unlikely that you will ever really see anyone else in their potential. I, I don't think I'm making this up. You're staring at me. 
I don't think I'm making this up. You see, we have to care about the most vulnerable in this society. We have to see. We have to see them. We have to see the broken. Because if you don't see the broken, you'll never try to fix it. If you're able to walk past them and never notice, nothing in their lives will ever change, and consequently nothing in your life will probably change much either. I told you last week, I've had a little interesting feedback. I told you last week, there's a group of us um, that are joining with another group that's been doing this now for quite a number of years. I think this is year number nine that have gone out into the midst of Burning Man and have ministered life. And the encounters that they have had, uh, in these last, especially in these last few years, have been absolutely New Testament dimension. People honestly seeking and people honestly finding. People looking through the window and seeing what we, what we offer and actually having it in stock. And we've sort of been the ground troops for this. We're the ones who, who have, have picked them up at the airport and got them where they needed to go and got them when they come back and give them places to shower and all that kind of stuff. But this year, there's four of us that are going. There's a group of people that are praying already for us. The four of us that are going to go meet them on the terms that they understand as best we know how. And this to me, you know, a few years ago, this, this seemed a little bit beyond reach, but, but now it just seems normal. Who needs a doctor? Everybody around us, Burning Man is like an extreme, you know, I mean, it really is kind of an extreme to do it but everyone around us was just like you and they were broken and they needed something that you are now packing you've got it on board you've got it in the pickup and now you've got to learn how to unload it and in order to do that you've got to see the ones who need it that's what compassionate ministry is. I look and I begin to see something in other people that they don't even have the ability and the faith to see for themselves. Is that our role as believers? Do you think that's part of what God calls us to in the impossible places in this world? All right. Uh, okay. Kingdom compassion begins by desiring to see each person's talent, their potential, and dignity realized. It is exhibiting the courage, passion, and commitment to unlock human possibility in Christ. Does everyone understand there isn't really anything bigger and more significant than when I say your possibility in Christ. Your possibility, your, your neighbor's possibility. Linda and I had this wonderful opportunity this week. We, we've been trying to get to know our neighbors. Do you, do you get to try to get to know your neighbors? Do you know the people on either side of you and across the street? And we've been working at this. And for the first time this week, we were invited into one of our neighbor's homes to pray for the mother, the grandmother that lives there because she'd had back surgery. And um, it was just this amazing open door. Invited in to pray. You know, I, I was invited in as the pro, 
sometimes you know it does have its it it, it really does have its uh, positives um, lots of times there are drawbacks but this time it was a positive and it was like that idea of from their from their religious background you know you, the pro has bigger bigger whammy and, and there's actually there were people here I wish would have been there and kind of instead of me because you seem to swing a little bigger bat in this area but I'm the neighbor and the pro so, so we got to go into the home and pray and that's all we were going to do and it just turned into this I don't know how long we were there but of them just ah, opening up to us someone in pain someone who needed a touch someone who wanted a touch someone who hoped there would be a touch became an open door for us that's a good deal see who, whoever needs it see it's just how do we begin to unlock how do we begin to see what's going on with other people and we let our encounter we let this encounter to begin to become something more than just me saying hey um, be channeling the resulting health and the new life um, and the newfound life into productive discipleship. So, so this compassionate ministry has kind of got two steps here that I've kind of defined. The first is making the encounter, having the, encourage, the courage to step out and to begin, uh, just to begin to make contact and to begin looking and, and to see. If, how, many, how many of you have noticed, if you don't look, you don't see? How many of you know a lot of Christians have purposely learned to not look? Because my responsibility is in here, right? I mean, it's, we come here on Sunday and we, we worship and, and we learn and, and then we, we go back to our cars and go back to our lives. And pretty much my, you know, my obligation to, to the grace of God in my life has been fulfilled, right? So we don't see it that way. We see this more like the filling station because your real work is out there. Your real encounters, the real life, is going on out there. And what we're doing in here is to not make you safe and, and to make you exclusive, but rather to make you hungry for where your real life needs to be, out there where it's broken. Get them here and we'll try to get them fixed. We will help you with that. But it's your encounters, it's your, your friendship, it's your invitation, it's your kindness. It's your offer to pray. It's your word in the, in the marketplace. It's, it's, it's you that begins to make this. And that's the first step, is, is making that encounter. And we've all got responsibility there. But then there's that other thing of compassionate ministry that once we begin to bring them in and we begin to see the, this, this uh, velvet hook set in their jaw and God is reeling them in, that the next step is that we bring them in and we begin to turn them in to disciples who then in turn will begin to represent the very same kingdom that loved them in in the first place. They become carriers. They, they become the Sherpas just like you they begin to carry for the kingdom that's the that's the two we want to channel the resulting health and the newfound life into productive discipleship kingdom compassion requires that we uncover and challenge anything that diminishes life or the quality of life and recognize that those obstacles have been a tool of the enemy does everybody hear me Anything that has diminished life as God has imagined it becomes my responsibility. 
and I begin to see it as a work of the enemy, my sworn enemy, the enemy of my Savior, my defeated enemy, who is still active and still tearing at people and tearing at their lives and diminishing them and, and the result of broken, hurting people. I come on the scene and I become the one who rescues. I see it as the enemy. I see it as a confrontation that needs to happen. I may not stand there and rebuke the devil, but I begin to put in. Remember what the weapon Jesus' choice was? It was the weapon of what? Of compassion. Jesus said, I'm going to use compassion as a weapon. I'm going to break down the walls. One of my favorite scriptures is Jesus talking to his disciples. My wife and I have been to the place where they, they're pretty sure this happened in, in Caesarea Philippi, up in the north in Israel. And Caesarea Philippi was an incredibly pagan place. The Romans were there. The Greeks had been there before them. It was one of those little crossroads places. And there was, and still, if, when you go there across this one kind of a wall, are, are these remains of all these different temples. It, w- it was like, it, it was like a, a, you know, a strip mall of, of, of pagan behavior was sort of here. And, and that's the place where Jesus was standing. And here over on the side of all of this is this giant cave. And it's, there's, a, there's a, a, a temple to Pan right here. Everybody knows about Pan. And then right on the other side is this, is this um, big cave. And they called it the gates of hell. And it was supposed to be in, in one of the places in Greek mythology, and the Romans adopted it, it was one of the places where, where you could come and go, where hell had a, had a, a communication with, with the, earth, the surface of the earth. There was movement back and forth. And that's where they chose to build up all of these temples and things. And it was standing right there in front of that, at Caesarea Philippi, that Jesus said to his disciples, who do men say that I am? And so they start going through the laundry list. You know, well, some say you're, you're John the Baptist, you're returned from the death. Some say from, from the dead. And some say that you're, you're Isaiah or one of the prophets, you're Ezekiel, you're somebody. There's all this discussion and speculation trying to figure out who Jesus is. And then he asks the question, the question of all times. He says, who do you say that I am? And out of Peter's mouth comes this revelation that I think probably even surprised him. He said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him and says, you're blessed, Peter, because neither no man revealed this to you but my Father in heaven. And then he says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell the best and the worst that humanity can throw, all that the enemy has done to tear it down. He says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I love the picture that's formed in your mind because there's something I, I, years ago, you know, I heard somebody talking about this, but it's an image that stayed because we've had this backwards image of us sort of in the fort the church of Jesus Christ holding our, trying to hold our own, you know, the, the gates are shut and the, the 
darkness and the, and the, the armies of hell are gathered against us. They're coming against us, but we're going to hold the ground, hold the fort, for I am coming. And we old Pentecostal sing that old song. Hold the fort, for I am coming. And the enemy's onslaught. And, and I think a whole lot of end-time doctrine has this mentality of the kingdom of heaven. We're going to hang on till Jesus comes back. You are coming back, aren't you? But that's not what it says. He says, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. They're the ones shut in. They're the ones behind the gates. They're the ones that are in the fortress. They're the ones that are hoping we do not discover that in the anointing there is the power to begin to demand that those that are captive held behind the fence, held behind the gate, are fair game for the kingdom of heaven. And we are the ones who stand at the gates and demand, turn them loose. You turn them loose, you set them free, and our weapon of choice is compassion. Compassion demands one-on-one. -on -one. Compassion demands face-to-face. -face. Compassion demands a touch, a hand, a, a grace, a kindness, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's not standing there and rebuking in the name of Jesus and doing nothing. It is reaching in to the neighbor's house. It's helping. It's ministering. The, the most maligned and sometimes the most fringe people in the world are our consideration. We have to see them. If you don't see them, you won't do anything. If you don't look, you won't see. All right? To begin seeing oneself as the source of healing in the world requires that we begin to see the world. This is our next one. Lydia, excuse me. To begin seeing ourselves as the source of healing to the world requires that we begin to see the world in the same way that Jesus did. How many believe that's true? I have a little video here. This is us. Everybody say, Bubba. Okay. All right. Well, you can watch the video now. You'll know which part you're playing here. Bubba. Bubba was my best good friend. I had to make sure that he was okay. on my way back to find Bubba? Well, that was this boy laying on the ground. Tex. Okay. I couldn't just let him lay there all alone and scared the way he was. So I grabbed him up and run him out of there. time I went back looking for Bubba, somebody else was saying, help me, Forrest, help me. Yeah. 
started to get scared that I might never find Bubba. I know my position is danger close. We got Charlie all over this area. I gotta have those fast movers in here now. Over. Lieutenant Dan, Coleman's dead. I know he's dead. I hope Platoon is wiped out. What are you doing? Just leave me here. Get away. Just leave me here. Get out. Dad, I said leave me here. Then it felt like something just jumped up and bit me. Inbound right now, they're gonna nade the whole area. Don't you stay here? That's an order. I gotta find Bubba. I like Forrest Gump. Almost as many sermon illustrations as football. <clears throat> Almost. Did do you see? I, I mean, I kind of like this clip because of the extreme nature of it. It's Hollywood, obviously. But do you understand the necessity? of you seeing something other than yourself, of putting yourself in harm's way because somebody else needs what got you saved. Somebody else needs what set you free. You were wounded and somebody picked you up like that first little video from VBS. I hadn't seen that before or said it was a Sunday school teacher. It was a friend. It was a neighbor. There was somebody who came in and got me and pulled me out. What would happen? What would happen if the church began to as seriously go after the broken as somebody came after me until I was found? Ordinary people, this is the next one, ordinary people are God's best instrument to bring healing to the world. How many of you would vote and say, I'm ordinary? I don't have anything special to bring to this. It's, you know, uh, Pastor Tom's obviously talking about those who are being called into ministry. Yeah, I'm talking about them, certainly. But if you don't understand that when we say those called into ministry, that it, you just didn't right then identify yourself then we really haven't done our job. You are the one called into ministry. You are the one. You're just ordinary enough. And it's ordinary folks. It's you that have the capability, the capacity to become what begins to pull people out of the jungle. That goes in and rescues them and begins hauling them back. Love is not just seeing. It is doing something about what is seen. You can't call it love until there's action. Um, I want to read this scripture in Luke 6. We're coming to the end here in just a moment. It says, I say to you, 
this is the Sermon on the Plain. It's, it, it's very close to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's version of it. But the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus covers some of the same material, speaking primarily, it says, to his disciples. He says, I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. All right, what do we call that last scripture there? Just the golden rule. Just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. See, we, we quote the golden rule. I learned the golden rule as a kid. Jesus attaches it to people who are abusing me. Didn't he? You know what I just read? And basically what he's saying here is, you don't get to qualify who, who is um, uh, uh, able or, or who is, is honorable enough to receive your ministry. Who's qualified to receive from you? Well, let's cut out the ones who hate me. Let's cut out the ones who despise me. Let's, take, let's cut out the ones who've stolen from me and not return and instead Jesus turns this whole thing around on his ear he says no he says in fact when they when they abuse you give them a little extra what's he doing I mean this is just weird what he's doing is he's setting us up he's setting us up for a compassionate ministry if you are not willing to give what is yours and what you hold precious it will never become compassionate ministry not just about you going out and, and making a sacrifice. I did something sacrificial today. Nothing wrong with that at all. But this is at that moment in time when you get to choose whether you are going to inject the kingdom of heaven. You see this person now through the eyes of Jesus in, in terms of potential, in terms of saying, this is not what he had in mind. This is not the best. You know, they, that person who's, who's maybe coming at me, I'm looking at them and I'm, I'm fearful for my stuff, maybe even my person. But what he, Jesus says, this is how extreme this can get, is what you're looking at them and saying, oh my goodness, no, 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 no. This is not what God intended you to be. Here, you can have this, but, but let me tell you. Let me offer you a, a better picture of the potential of what God imagined you to be rather than what you have become. And God can set you free. This is a whole different way. Read, uh, it's interesting, uh, in Matthew's version of this, um, in Matthew 7, he, attacks, uh, he uh, attaches it to that scripture that, that Cliff quoted a little while ago. Remember the seek, ask, knock, Jesus attaches it to that. You can draw your own conclusions. I won't preach that sermon to you this morning. What we do in final, what we do in response to doing unto others as we'd have them do unto us will determine our eternal impact. All right? All of us, you know, I, I think about our dads, you know, the men away and, and, and almost all of them coming back and said, I want to be a better dad to my kids. 
How about, how about the, the kingdom of compassion that says, I'll be a better dad to the kids in this neighborhood. I'll, I'll begin to become something that they might not have. We, we watch the children on our street, getting to know them a little bit. I uh, <clears throat> love them all. And, um, you know, I look at these kids and you wonder sometimes what in the world really goes on behind the closed doors because of the behaviors and this stuff just out there a little bit. Let's have our worship team come back. See, people filled with the Spirit will champion the release of the captives and proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. In other words, this is when it happens. This is when it's on this rock, on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. They, these people, these filled with the Spirit, will be about setting new standards of care and mercy. They will love justice and they will care for the poor. The anointing of the Spirit is always missional. That probably should have been a fill-in. The anointing of the Spirit is always missional. The focus of the kingdom of heaven on earth is always people. Okay, do you hear me? The focus of the kingdom of heaven on earth is always people. Always people. Always people. And so what we do has to have them in our sights. Jesus' standard for meeting needs is looking to our own best desires for ourselves and then working toward that same end in others. This is the golden rule. This is the golden rule. Let's stand. As we close and we worship, uh, I, I want to invite you into this world. We're trying to open up new doors of ministry, the work that we do at the university. That's, is beginning to yield a lot of behind-the-scenes fruit. We're going to have James share about this one of these Sundays here real soon because you don't know everything that's been going on. The work that's going on at Bailey Charter that, that we've got volunteers now in every grade spending time and what we're seeing, beginning to see there and recognize and, and, and getting our hearts broke a little bit over, over the, that world. And, and other things of reaching out, the group that went down to Earth Day uh, two weeks ago and just ministered. We go into that world. We're not afraid of that world. Because no matter who they are, no matter how distant they are, no matter what their politics are, Jesus died for them. And I do not get the privilege of being exclusive because I'm a Republican and they're a Democrat or I'm a Democrat and they're a Republican or they're tree huggers or whatever a label I want to hang on them that allows me to not be in their lives, to be separate and distance from them because they're just too different. Do you understand what Jesus said? Even those that come in and steal from you, who take from you, you have a responsibility to say to them, you know what, that really isn't God's best for you. Let me tell you about a Savior. So we just don't get the privilege, folks. I'm sorry, maybe I didn't explain this to you when you signed up. I'm explaining it to you now. Your privilege is all in the kingdom and anything outside the kingdom folks you've lost your privilege it's all kingdom now and the kingdom of God is about people
people who are the same and a whole lot of people that are different, but who desperately need to hear Jesus loves them. That's what we get to do. Compassionate ministry. That's what God's called us to. If you want prayer for that, if you just say, God, I'm just not that person, well, I'd be everyone in here, myself at the front of the line. I'm not that compassionate. But God, would you change me? Would you allow me to, to see? I want to be able to look so I can see. But Lord, what I see, please then give me the ability, the, the courage to do something about what I'm seeing. Otherwise, the feeling doesn't mean a thing, no matter how thrilling it was. Are you with me? Let's worship. Let me just finish by reading again the scriptures we began with. And remembering that this missional statement of Jesus was the pattern that he was setting down for the church, for you, for me. It was our true calling and it and always has been. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's us. Everyone in this building just became Forrest Gump. Running back into the jungle, not because it's safer there, but that's where the people are. That's where the wounded are. That's where the broken are. That's where the most threatened are. That's where the marginalized are. That's, that's where the difficult are. Well, a few of those are in the church. But that's where we're headed. Is into the end of the jungle. God's calling all of us. So don't, get a, don't get frightened. Holy Spirit is very gentle. Takes his time works with us, draws us on. You don't have to do the big thing right off the bat. He just calls you. But, but could I just, I can't let you off the hook. This is what scripture says about you. God's potential for you is wrapped somewhere up in other people's needs. And so he calls you out and he calls you out. If you need prayer, if you need ministry, just want to start seeing your calling, I just would invite you to come and there will be someone to pray with you. Or there's people all over the building, those of you who took the healing class, you, you were told, keep your eyes out. That's what you were supposed to be doing. Look around you, see what God's doing, and then go to that and serve it. Bless and pray for it. So there should be prayer everywhere. But if you need prayer and you know it, don't be afraid to come and we'll get someone connected with you praying. Father, we thank you that you draw us in and you make a bigger, you, you make a bigger picture for us, Lord. You, you, you show us a little clearer what it is that um, you're speaking over our lives and what you intended. Jesus, you never held back, but you did exactly what you promised in that synagogue in Nazareth. You, you did it, Lord. You went out and you did it. Lord, the poor did hear the gospel. The brokenhearted, Lord, were healed. Those in bondage were set free. Those with blind eyes, 
their eyes were opened spiritually and physically Lord you just kept doing it you went to the people and the people were healed father that is the accepted pattern for the church and so Lord one more time we just put ourselves back into play Lord whether it's us running back into the jungle to go after our best friend or Lord is to go after others Lord it's our responsibility it's our calling and we embrace it again we thank you father for the call towards compassionate ministry we can't even say that without already recognizing that we have to do that in yoke with you we can't do it on our own so Lord the excitement is I get to do this with you and I thank you father for a better calling a, a clearer calling father for the ministry and life that you meant not only for me to live but Lord for those that I connect with we bless you Lord in Jesus precious name you do all things well and we bless you Lord in Jesus precious name amen all right